Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. Uh, it's been uh, a few hours since Game 7. <laughs> and we've slept a ton. <laughs> We're back in Bristol, though. We're in the studio. Uh, we both have uh, television obligations to fulfill over the next couple of days. And uh, I don't know. I was I was trying to look around the offices here and see if there were any sullen faces about the Bruins not winning the cup last night. I was actually struck when we left the arena how ghost towny it was around TD Garden last night. Especially for how ridiculous it was before the game. It yeah. really felt like, especially for a weeknight, the city was just bursting. Uh, there was very, very long lines around the bar that is called Tavern in the Square, nicknamed something else, uh, <laughs> about an hour and a half before the game. And mm-hmm. I was, uh, more than that, I was shocked. Yeah. Uh, there was people just crowding the streets. People were getting loud. People were getting angsty. And by the time we left, it was just quiet. I kind of was jealous of the people that were at Bush Stadium. I think that's one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time as far yeah. as like, viewing parties. You always see viewing parties in like big town squares and inside the arena. But I've ri- I don't think I've ever seen a situation where they opened up the baseball stadium and had people come there. And and what a cool baseball stadium that is. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing, too. It's like if I had my choice between Enterprise Center and Bush Stadium, I'm picking Bush Stadium every time, even though it may not be the best place to watch a game on the, on the TV screens because, like, there's stuff around the stadium. I didn't see it. Did you see what the attendance was for Enterprise? I did. Well, the, Enterprise was sold out. Really? I think. And they then, sold tickets for it? Uh, yeah. Or like, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, like, like distributed out. Sure, sure. And then the, the Cardinals one was, I think, 20 bucks a ticket that went to the Cardinals Foundation. But in both cases, like, you know, the, the, the shots of the fans celebrating the goals and the cup from those two venues were super awesome. I think it'd be a really fun place to watch a game. Um, Mainly because it was exciting versus being in TD Garden last night when the Blues sucked the life out of that place. Oh, my gosh. It, it felt like inevitable after the first period. Tell me if you disagree. It I, felt once they had those two goals. Well, I'll tell you how I feel. Okay. After we start the show proper, shall we? <laughs> From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN on Ice. It's the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. Although I did see Will Kane talking about hockey today, too. And then it turned into the Warriors. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. <laughs> We're here in Bristol. So to answer your question about Game 7, um, I still felt, th- I mean, listen, the crowd was super uneasy and it wasn't a happy crowd. But I felt up until the point where Bennington stopped uh, stop Nordstrom. Yes. And then, uh, Shen scored a few minutes later. That was the, the death blow. That was, that was, that sucked all the air out of the building. The Bruins fans knew, uh, it was now inevitable that they were going to lose the cup. But until that point, I felt like it was still one of those, it's a two nothing game, a bad bounce, maybe a power play if there was going to be another one of that game, uh, would have been the difference. And, uh, and they didn't get it. They didn't get either of those things. The problem was, and I, I see where you're coming from, is that the Bruins outplayed them. They were a stifling team. And outplayed them in the sense that they were getting more offensive opportunities, but the defensive stifling of the St. Louis Blues was right. just out of control. It was a trap king. They were trap kings. They were trap kings. And they kept all the action to the outside, and when they didn't, Bennington was there. It was it was the... the, the we talk about this later with uh, Steve Levy and Barry Melrose were on the podcast today. We had a little confab after Game 7. It couldn't have gone any better for St. Louis. Like... The the pathway to them winning a cup was 
a game in which they only play five on five, which they did for 58 minutes yes. of that game outside of the goalie being pulled. Um, and a game where they were able to roll their four lines and get their four check going, which they did. And, uh, and then when they got that lead, I, I was a little surprised they weren't more aggressive and trying to, to, to keep the four check going. Um, but the trap worked, man. And like, kudos, Craig Ruby's done a lot of really good things in these playoffs and playing the ever loving hell out of Colton Pareko and Alex Petrangelo last night is probably one of his master strokes because they were both pretty good. Petrangelo was a monster yesterday. And we're going to talk about Con Smythe voting later, but. I just thought it was a clinic by him. He was everywhere. He was doing all the right things. He was being the captain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, credit that fourth line of the Blues once again stopped the top line of the Bruins. And we knew that the Bruins would be able to get depth scoring mm-hmm. uh, eventually. But that top line just was so quiet in this series, especially at five on five. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm curious to see lockout day when we hear a lock. Lockout cleanout <laughs> Lock day. Clean out day. Sorry, I'm looking forward to the next lockout. Lock, lockout obviously. day is going to be in a couple of years. <laughs> uh, not that many years. It's coming up sooner than we think. But I'm waiting for a lock, uh, locker room cleanout day to hear what injuries exactly uh, were ailing this uh, top line because I, I know Bergeron was dealing with something. I'm, I'm guessing it was he, a groin. He admitted it's such that he was banged up last night, and uh, you know, I was I was a little surprised that Bruce Cassidy didn't drop. Uh, Pasternak from that line and try to move him around the lineup a little He's bit. He's done more. that before, right? Yeah, I was surprised there wasn't that change. Um, but again, like here, here's the thing: if you're a Bruins fan today, like, yeah, it's a bummer. They they rolled through the Eastern Conference after the Leafs series. Um, they looked like the, they were going to be the better team in this series. Um, I think the series probably turned in Game Five. You know that that game two two going back to Boston. And Jordan Bennington doing what he did in that game for the Blues. His best game of the playoffs by far. 38 saves. Even better than last night because, I mean, last night I think he got tremendous defensive support. That turned the series because that all of a sudden gives the Blues two cracks at this. The first crack was a whiff. It's like a kid swinging at a pinata at his birthday party. He falls down and hits his head on the stick because that was an atrocious uh, performance on home ice with a chance to win the cup in front of your home fans. But then they get the ideal situation in the second crack, which is on the road where they're now, I think, 10 and 3 was the final tally. Yeah, this and, would be the 10th. And then, and then Biddington after a loss where he's now 14 and 2 this season with like a 1.86 or 1.83 goals against average. So the ideal situation was getting that game seven in the manner in which they did. And the only way they get there is through winning that game five in Boston, which is a game that. I think the Bruins are going to look back on and say that's that's when the, the you know that's the that's the thread you pull on the sweater to let it unravel. Yeah, you know there was certain advantages I felt like Boston had in terms of experience. I thought that being able to turn the emotion, building from that Game Six win into this home environment, mm-hmm. would be their benefit, and I thought that might doom the Blues. Right, like it's all in their headspace. There's all this bad juju going on. But it was the complete opposite and credit the mental fortitude. And That's the thing, man. Mental fortitude is the thing. I wrote, I wrote about that today on, on the site. Um, this, this is the greatest case of short-term memory loss I've ever seen for a team. Mm-hmm. Like teams can talk about like, we're moving on. We're forgetting about this adversity. Rah, 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 rah. They live the gimmick, as they say in wrestling. Like they had the hand pass situation against the Sharks. And after the game... They're just like, we're going to forget this happened. We're just going to move on. And we're all like, no, you're not. You're going to be super angry and it's all going to fall apart for you now. They just literally forgot about it. They just didn't care. They moved on. 
They lost two games in a row to Winnipeg. They lost two games in a row to Dallas. Um, you know, they get ab- they get their lunch money taken by the Boston Bruins in game three of this series uh, on home ice in the first home game in St. Louis Stanley Cup Finals is 1970 and they just pooed the bed and then they come back in game six with a chance to win the cup in front of a rabid crowd a massive crowd outside everybody's ready to party and they poo the bed a second time got to clean the mattress and the box spring this time so much poos in the bed we talked so much about the NHL being a copycat league. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw kind of what happened last year with Washington of teams maybe trying to emulate after them. I'm curious what this means for the rest of the league when the Blues win this year. Does it mean oh. you fire your coach earlier yep. when you're in total doubt? You totally do. It means you probably go to a retread because that seems to be the trend here as three of the four coaches in the Final Four were coaches who had previous opportunities. Does it mean you go all in with veterans and, and, and stick that way? Does it mean you, you try to stay with a heavier lineup? Uh, these are all the trends that we saw from the Blues this year, mm-hmm. and I'm curious what teams are going to try to emulate it. That's good. that's a good question, and I mean, I think the X factor obviously is you know you can't be like have your fifth string goalie come up and play like a rookie of the year. I mean, that's that's you don't that's, have a spot for your goalie. Put him at another yeah. NHL club and know that he can come join you next right. year. Right. That, that's sort of the hard part to emulate, but you know. Do you know one thing Vladimir Tarasenko said on the ice after the game, and I think it was so interesting. What is it? Was it about this baby? It was not about his baby, who, by the way, is adorable if you haven't seen the photos. Yeah. But he said, I want to just give a shout out, and I don't think he used the word shout out, but that's my word, to our GM, because at the trade deadline, he didn't get rid of any of us. Right. And when he said that, I think he specifically probably was talking about himself (laughs) as well. Do we remember that Vladimir Tarasenko was the subject of trade rumors, as was Alex Petrangelo, not too long ago? There was a situation in January where it was all reported around the NHL that uh, Doug Armstrong had his finger on the button. Right. Blow it up. And it didn't. There's the conflicting storylines about this team, right? Where it's like, a, hey, act fast, fire your coach, try mm-hmm. something new, but also stick with it. You have this grand master plan over the summer. You sign all these free agents. You get all these new top six forwards. Just let them gel a little bit and see what happens. We touched on this a little bit with Stephen Barry, but you know, one of the takeaways that I think we all anticipate from this final and from the Capitals winning last year is the return of heavy hockey, is the idea that you've got to be a, a bigger team. You've got to have guys that can grind it out when needs be. And, like, I hope that's not the trend necessarily because I've been finding the NHL to be really entertaining and offensive and cool. But we've already heard the Vancouver Canucks GM, uh, Jim Benning, talk about the necessity to get stronger and bigger. And so, you know, as much as I don't want that to be the life lesson taken from the playoffs, I kind of feel like it is. I kind of feel like we're going to see teams bulk up and look at the style of play the Bruins and the Blues play and be like, oh, we can totally play that style in the playoffs and, and succeed with it. Okay, you mentioned the playoffs there, and that's the part that I find fascinating because, look, Patrick Maroon is the best example. He's the biggest, heaviest forward on that lineup. Mm-hmm. He wasn't great during the regular season. He was no. awful. Right. He, he had a terrible regular season. Right. He was so important for very for a couple of playoff games, and mm-hmm. he was a huge part of what they did. So do you get these kind of players on your roster and just say, hey— we know we're not going to have them contribute that much during the regular season, but when we make the playoffs, and if we make the playoffs, it's super important. Patrick Maroon drove up his own value in free agency. Yeah. Do you know who he also? Who? Wayne Simmons. Yeah, probably. It's not a bad idea. I like the idea of you take a Pat Maroon and be like, look, we don't need you until like maybe like March. You You're going to play 10, 11 minutes a night home, and don't complain. Drink beer. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Eat, eat beef jerky. Uh, comb your beard. And then we'll bring you back in, in April or March, and then we'll get going. you got to play him like 10 minutes a night just to stay fresh. <laughs> you think so? Maybe seven or eight. No, I, I think you could have a, a fat Thor situation where people are just home and they're 
They got a little bit of beer, little beer belly. They come Sometimes back. Sometimes I don't know what universe you're living in, knock, but I'd like to live there. Knock down some pins. Well, I think I'm probably trying to craft my own path to the NHL. Um, all right. Last thing before we get to Stephen Barry, the future of the Bruins, the future of the Blues. Uh, is the window still open for the Boston Bruins to capture Lord Stanley's Cup in the next couple of years? Well, yes, of course, because we didn't think the window was going to exist at all. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. This was supposed to be it for the core. They were going to rebuild and somehow they retooled on the fly set the standard that a lot of teams, including like the Chicago Blackhawks, are going to try to follow. Um, I do think it's open. Uh, you know, they, they've got some prospects coming up. I know they've missed on a couple high-profile draft picks, which right. has hurt them. Uh, the re- issue really here is do they have it in them, this magical juju that they conjured this year? Because if we forget about this Boston Bruins season is – they were dealt a lot of adversity. They were down so many yeah. defensemen. At, you know, they were they were yeah. playing a lot of guys that had no business playing. And good point. Like kudos to them, man. Like I don't want to shortchange the Bruins season. They got beat by a, a better five on five team in Game Seven. It was a hell of a series. No taking away the accomplishments of of playing through that adversity with the injuries, beating the Leafs again uh, in that series, and then absolutely dominating to sort of quasi Cinderella teams. It was a hell of a run for them. And, and you know, they made it game seven of the final. Yeah. No no shame there. So looking at their offseason, they've got two RFAs that are pretty obvious to come back. That's Brandon Carlo and Charlie McAvoy, mm-hmm. who are two of their top four defensemen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the key to the future of the Boston Bruins, in my opinion, is Tory Krug. Oh. He becomes a UFA, not this summer, but next summer. Mm-hmm. I believe he'd like to stick around. It's very clear he likes his team. He likes the environment. He can get paid, and he can get paid a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's do you take a slight discount maybe to fit within the cap construction of the Bruins, or do you go to a team like the New York Rangers or the Detroit Red Wings or any other team that can offer you some big money and big contracts? I think Detroit would offer him pretty big. I, I He's also, a Michigan native. I also think that um, it's interesting because, I mean, obviously we, we have the Dougie Hamilton situation where Dougie wanted more money and they didn't want to pay him, mm-hmm. and then he got shipped out. But outside of a 200-foot center, like – kind of like your Bergeron or your O'Reilly or whatever, the most coveted asset in hockey is a power play quarterback, of which Krug had quarterbacked the best power play in the playoffs since 1981. So one assumes his value is quite high right now if they were going to deal him. But to me, in this playoffs, he proved we knew he was a puck-moving defenseman. We knew of the offensive capabilities. I thought he was incredibly impressive defensively as well. And a heat-seeking missile with yes. his, his checking game. Exactly. Um, I, I, I agree. I think the window is still wide open for them. And I, and I do think that, you know, when you look at their roster, yeah, Chara's aging out and Bergeron's getting older and, and a few of the other guys are getting older. But, like, Coyle, Carlo, McAvoy, DeBrusque, that's a good they're, – they're still in that sweet spot, I think, of veteran players and younger players. I think they can come back and challenge next year. The one thing I want to see them do – two things, actually – uh, buy out Bacchus. There's no point anymore to having him around. Poor David Bacchus. Can we just take an aside? I know. I know. How rough that must have been for him. Yep. At least he had some good doggos to go home to. And also, I mean, and we talked, we all talked to him before the series about, oh, how weird is this going to be? Little did we know how weird it was going to get for him to be sitting in the press box watching his former team. I wonder if anyone's going to invite him out to their club, uh, their cup day or any celebrations. I think, I think Petrangelo will because the whole point of their relationship was like, we're besties, but we're going to park it for, the, for sure. the series. So he'll definitely get invited if he wants to come. Um, he might as well. He ain't going to win another one. Uh, Bacchus, I mean, or win one instead of another one. Um, I think the big key for the Bruins is they've, they've got to address that second line wing thing. DeBrusque is great. Krejci's great. Get yourself a guy that's going to make that line a monster. So if Why isn't that Coyle? Because I think they're going to make Coyle their third-line center. Okay, I yeah. think they like yeah, him as yeah. a center. I agree with you that I think he's better on the wing. 
personally, but I think that they see him as a center. And and that's not the worst idea. I mean, if you go uh, Bergeron, Krejci, Coyle up the gut, you're doing pretty good for yourself. But then you got to find that guy that makes that second line just as dangerous as that first line. If you get Sunquist again, yeah, you know if the first line. Sunquist, yeah, uh... if, if, you, if you get if you if the first line isn't doing it. You need to get your scoring from other places, and I think that's one of the reasons why the Bruins really struggle. And I don't think Marcus Johansson's coming back. I think he'll get paid elsewhere. I'd agree with that. Blues core, I mean, look, man, this is a special team. It is obviously a team that was locked in in a very particular way from January on. But O'Reilly, Tarasenko, Petrangelo, uh, 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 Pareko, um, core's all under like 29 and under. Like they're very much still very much in their prime. And they still have they've, they have some supporting cast decisions to make, but this might not be a one and done for St. Louis. The biggest thing they have to worry about this offseason, their RFAs. I believe it's eight RFAs yeah. they have to deal with. Jordan Bennington's going to get a ton of attention. Woo-hoo! I'm expecting a bridge deal there. By the way, I think that's the trend. This is going to go. There's no comparables. He's going to be asking for the world. Doug Armstrong might want to give him the world, but can't. Right. Uh, and and I think that's just you know makes sense. It's two or three year, maybe even four year deal. Um. Robbie Fabry, like there's really interesting decisions they're going to have to make. Fabry, yeah. you know, obviously a high pick, missed a year and a half of hockey, um, found his way back into the lineup, fell out of favor towards the end of the playoffs. Like, do you keep him around? Yeah. Do, do, you, do you part ways? Do you cut your losses? Uh, and then do you follow the suit of what the Washington Capitals did last year, which basically their MO was, we won, we're going to do everything we can to keep the band back together. The St. Louis do that. And there's two veteran UFAs that they'd probably have to decide on, Patrick Maroon and guess he'd like to stay considering yeah. the hometown ties yeah does it make sense for just another short deal he was hoping that this year would be his prove it deal and get paid next year mm-hmm. uh carl gunnerson there's a chance our swedish friend kaisa said maybe he goes back to sweden yeah uh you know i i, I maybe he signs for another short team deal who knows but I, I the bottom line is there's all these rfas you know they're probably going to keep most of them other than that, it, it really is going to be the same team. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do. And it also is going to be interesting to see who decides they want to come. Because much like Vegas last year in that run, this was a pretty good advertisement for the Blues. Oh, yeah. As an organization. I mean, Berube proved himself to be a really good coach. And, and we assume he's going to still be the coach, even though he's still the interim. Um, and I think, you know, people look at that that group of guys and say, A, seems like a pretty decent group of guys. B, I like the way they play. Uh, speaking of the decent group of guys, they're going to see all the social media of them partying like hell this summer and being <laughs> yeah. like, wow, these guys look kind of fun. It may not be Ovechkin at a fountain level, but those guys haven't covered them. There's a few that I think I've been waiting to cut loose. I'll keep my eye on I mean, Maroon, obviously. Yeah. Um, who's this? Is Jordan Bennington a secret freak? I don't know if it's secret. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll have a good time. I think Braden Shen's going to have a indeed, good time. Indeed, indeed, indeed going to be a good time all around. All right. Well, we had the pleasure of talking to Steve Levy and Barry Melrose, our ESPN hockey colleagues who do such a good job, uh, including a, landing an epic interview with the aforementioned Jordan Bennington after Game 7. And here's our conversation about the Blues, the Bruins, and the NHL playoffs. Steve Levy, Barry Melrose. We are moments after the Blues Stanley Cup victory. If I were to ask you how they secured this cup, in Boston, what would you say? I would I would say the recipe that got them to where they're at. Great goaltending out of Bennington. He uh, made four or five key saves when the game was on the line early. And uh, great leadership, Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly was their best player at the start of the season. Uh, a lot of people say he single-handedly kept that team from blowing up. 
and, uh, and now they're the best team in the NHL. So that's a recipe they used, and they used it tonight to uh, to a pretty good end. Uh, I would say it was the discipline to to stay out of right? the penalty box tonight. The one power play that they allowed was, you know, that ridiculous over the glass delay a game penalty, which we see we've seen so much in this series. So. I think the Bruins all night were waiting for another power play chance, you know, and that I think their power play percentage for the postseason is still right up there, just below the Islanders, mm-hmm. 81, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, just, you know, it got shut down the second half of the Stanley Cup final, really. And a big part of it is because they didn't have the opportunities, the multiple opportunities. So I would say discipline. I think they figured it out, you know, I really do. Right, I want to talk hockey with you guys, but I also want to talk a little journalism. Steve, you guys got some really good interviews on the ice after the game, including one with uh, Jordan Biddington. Yeah. And uh, you asked him a question, and he gave a very colorful response. I just want to hear, like... Colorful, yes. Yeah, colorful. Uh, <laughs> your take on when he says that, your reaction, and, and kind of what it meant for you. All right, so there's a little backstory on Bennington. So we get Bennington after game five. Is that a shadow game? He had the 38 saves. That yeah, was the big game. game. Yeah, 2-1 yeah. here. 2-1 yeah. Yeah, two two one one here. Yeah. And we get him. And look, we know he's quiet and all that stuff. So we ask a couple. And I, t- I tell Barry in advance, hey, you need to be prepared with some extra questions. Because <laughs> I know the answers are going to be short. And we have a system, right? We used to do this. And I'm like, give me the nod when you're done. We're not saying the system works. We're just saying we have one. <laughs> give me a nod when you're done, right? And I'll say, okay, then I'll know i got to be the rest of the conversation. So we finish it. And it's kind of dry. But that's who he is. And I think it's legit. And it's fine. It's not about that. It's about his goaltending. But ever since that day, we're like, we're not interviewing him again, no matter what happens. <laughs> we are not going back there. And then, of course, you know, yeah. could have won the con Smythe. They were in big trouble. He almost had a shutout, yeah. right, and all yeah, that. Yeah. So we figured we'd take one more crack at him on the ice. And, you know, we try to get people – a lot of my thing is I'm trying to get answers, but I'm trying to get a reaction. I'm, I'm trying to get something different, especially on television. I want to see facially something. Right. Uh, you know, a step back. Something. Yeah. Anything other than what everybody else sees sure. all the time, right? And so he gave us uh, some colorful, colorful answer. And so yes. I'm glad we weren't live. Let's yeah. put it that Drop way. Drop a little left bomb yeah. on you. It was beautiful. Well, Your we, reaction we was great. <laughs> three or four more times with us, he'll be a perfect interviewer. Yeah. It'll be awesome. Put him through the Mary Steve boot camp. <laughs> From a Bruins perspective, this is a shocker, man. Like, it, it, I mean, the game couldn't have gone any worse for him in the sense that, like you said, no, no power plays. Five on five, the Blues are the better team, I think, in this series yeah. overall. What did you think of the, of the Bruins' effort? Do you think that at some point they just, maybe it was after that third goal, the, the shoulders started slumping a little bit? I said this on the ice. I I think it mattered more to uh, St. Louis. I think they're a team that's waited 52 years. They've heard this over and over and over again. The city wants them to win so badly. You guys are there. You saw how great that city was, how it was just waiting. Building's full. You know, they, they got songs going. They got this going. They got that. Now they open up the ballpark tonight. They got 20,000 more people watching. I just, the Bruins and, and Boston, they, it's a tribute to them. They win all the time. And, and they, you know, they, they were just played for two Stanley Cups within the last 10 years. I, I think it, when it just came to that moment where you have to make a play, I, I think, St. Louis just wouldn't not make it. They just wanted to win so badly. And, and it's nothing bad about Boston. They're obviously in the Stanley Cup final. they got a great organization. But I think this time, the St. Louis Blues just almost willed it uh, to them. I, I think the Blues are better than probably a lot of people gave them credit, uh, credit for. And Look, me personally, I haven't seen, you know, I'm not watching a ton of live St. Louis Blues during the season. I'm just not. Right. And I was really impressed. Alex Petrangelo, I knew he was a good player. I thought he was great, especially the second half of the Stanley Cup final. 
I thought he took it over. I knew about Ryan O'Reilly. I was impressed with Braden Shen. The, the Blues just kept coming. That fourth line, if you want to call them that, they just kept coming. It was nonstop, and I really think it took its toll. I think it was a big part of the reason they got to this series mm-hmm. after what they did to the talented Sharks the last yeah. series. And I think the Bruins are hurting and feeling it. Marchand said, you know, you saw the tears. Everybody heard the tears. Uh, Bergeron said, of course, he was injured. And they're probably banged up beyond what we know. So yeah. full marks to the Blues. It is disappointing because I, I thought the Bruins were the better team coming into the series. As Barry points out, you, you can't be the better team and still lose a seven-game series. That You can't get lucky. That doesn't happen. Right. So you guys know how things go. We should be celebrating the Blues. We should be talking about the Bruins. But we've already published the way too early power rankings on NHL uh, ESPN's website. Out of so order like St. Louis? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> look, I'm curious. You know, a lot can happen, right, with the trade deadline. Uh, and by trade deadline, I mean for agency. Yeah. Exactly. Made up the draft. Right. Uh, but who is your pick right now for who you think is going to win the Stanley Cup? Man. And who is your sleeper pick right of uh, who nobody's talking about? Yeah. Uh, well, I would go um, – my pick would be uh, – Winnipeg. To win, to win the cup next yep. year. Winnipeg Cup next year. Mm-hmm. And my sleeper pick, I don't know if this is a sleeper pick, uh, would be Calgary. That's yeah, fine. That's that a sleepish. Yeah, that's people, people are sort of they're not the, they're not the fashionable name anymore after the last couple of years. Right. So. We're looking at a Calgary Winnipeg Western oh, Conference yeah, final though. Apparently, that's what we're looking at here. <laughs> well, you don't have to worry. I'm never right, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, I think Toronto will make more noise yeah. next year. Is that a popular one? Is a lot of people, no. would they be higher in the no. power They're rankings? Pretty high. Okay, and if I had to go sleeper, are the Islanders still sleepy? No. I mean, they're very sleepy. Very sleepy. Okay. Very so, sleepy-ish. you know, I thought they kind of turned the corner. Obviously, you know, who's and got some work to do? They ran a wall. They turned the corner turned and ran right, into right, a wall. Right, right, right. <laughs> I was really hoping you'd say the Rangers so you could do some capo caco for oh, us. Oh, there it is. I can't wait till he's gone in the back of the jersey. <laughs> Last thing. What do we learn from this postseason? I mean, uh, uh, the whole time uh, it, it, there's been this notion of the return of heavy hockey. You look at the Washington Capitals last year, these two teams beating the hell out of each other. Is, is there something to be gained from that? Or is there something to be gained from maybe like uh, – well, the thing I, I take away is the retread thing. Three of the four coaches in the conference final were guys that were on their second jobs and DeBoer's case, third jobs. I feel like there's always a recoiling. I know I'm talking to an old coach here. Yeah. There's a recoiling when it comes to guys kind of getting a, a second or third chance in this league. But in the case of Ruby, it worked. In the case of Cassidy, it worked. I, I think it's uh, it's always been a copycat league. Um, a lot of times you look at Jimmy Montgomery. Uh, Jimmy Montgomery was hired. He's done a good job in Dallas. You're going to see more college coaches get the job. Mm-hmm. You saw that uh, with the coach in Philadelphia, uh, Hackstall. Yep. Uh, Rangers, yeah. Quinn. So uh, that that's part of it. And also, older coaches. Some some GMs don't want to bring in a young coach and have to worry about teaching them things, teaching the pro games. There's uh, tons of old coaches out there that are looking for jobs. And, and you know one, you check with somebody yours who knows this guy. Uh, you know, so you bring in these older coaches, experienced coaches, and tough coaches. You see? Did you see? Have you seen Cassidy's resume? Yeah. You see many times he went he went to a, a, be an assistant coach oh, in, yeah. in junior hockey, assistant coach from being an NHL head. Coach. That's crazy to do that, and yet he did it, and, and he saw himself in the Stanley Cup final. So I, I think there's a lot to be said bringing in guys that have, have paid the price and fought the wars. And you said tough coaches. I thought you meant Ruby because it looks like it could bench bench press old Mack truck. That guy's built. It's not it's not the lifting the weight that'll hurt you. It's the punching of the face. That hurts you. <laughs> what about you, Levy? My uh, my takeaway would be that home ice has never been more meaningless ah. in the history of the National Hockey League. Winnipeg was such a bust. In in fact, it might even yeah, hurt you. It was going to change. Winnipeg's going to change. Of course, of course. Next of course. year, your early prediction. <laughs> right. uh, it, it might even hurt you. Like the only advantage and home ice advantage now is maybe for the owner. 
uh, the pocketbook, right? Yeah, it's the extra date, yeah. The, ex- the extra game, the extra whatever it is, an extra million in profit, a million plus whatever it is per date. So I, c- I can't believe how it doesn't matter anymore. And I think the NHL has to look at that because, you know, that's the only break you get for the higher seating or Good whatever. Point. Good point. And, um, and if that becomes, in fact, meaningless, then what's that, that devalues the regular season mm-hmm. also. So I, I think you really got to take a hard look at that. I don't know how you fix that, but it was, it used to be better. Right. When home ice was important, you're right. You went into a tough building. Chances are you're going to lose, and and now that's it's all even. There you go, Stephen Barry. It's an honor to have covered the series with you. Any parting thoughts for no. our boys? I Thank appreciate you, you guys. See Thank you the draft you in Vancouver. Absolutely. Yeah. We're kidding. We're not coming. Oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I might be having a draft out there. <laughs> exactly, boys. It's Miller time. Thanks for yeah. coming. Right. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Our thanks to Stephen Barry. By the way, if you're in Boston, the greatest bar. Uh, Steve Levy co-production is uh, located on Canal, I want to say. It's right by the arena, and I will say this. Steve Levy, legend, shows up to Stanley Cup Media Day with business cards with his name and the bar on it. <laughs> legend. And a good dude, and it was a good bar. Many, many, many levels of that bar, and we went to the top level and had a good time one night, including uh, a local uh, sportscaster dancing on the bar and knocking over a pint of beer. Which I was I not there that dead. night, and I do not know. You were not there about. that night. That was that was post game five. Okay. And it was me, Wino, Steve Wino, the Associated Press, um, Matt, Matty Potts. Oh boy, former former puck soup, uh, puck soup, former. Uh, oh no, he was on puck soup too. Yeah, former puck soup and uh, ESPN and I's guest, Matt, Matty Porter from uh, the Boston Globe. It was it was a good collection. Ronick was there. We didn't talk. Um, the uh, NHL awards are coming up next week. Uh, Emily and I will both be there. We wanted to kind of go over some of them in sort of a preview way. Not necessarily the selections that we made on our own ballots, but now that the uh, nominees have been established, kind of who we're expecting will probably win. So, and it's kind of funny. Like, I wrote out all these, look, and looking back on it, it almost made me think, man, maybe they should include the playoffs. Like, looking back at some of these choices that we had for the awards. Uh, Selkie uh, for best defensive forward, Patrice Bergeron, Ryan O'Reilly, Mark Stone. Who do you think wins? I think this is Ryan O'Reilly's year. Oh, and maybe interesting. this is recency bias, and maybe I just kind of forget uh, how things struck out. But it felt like he was the guy this year for me. I, I Bergeron wanna... had too small of a sample size. Right. Oh, but Stone. I think it's. <laughs> I hope it's Stone, and I think it might be Stone only because there was he was such a high profile player uh, this year uh, between the Ottawa and the Vegas thing, and and the notion of rewarding a winger for the award I think really took fire, but. O'Reilly's up for two awards. He's up for this, mm. and he's up for the Lady Bing, where he's going up against Barkoff, um, uh, Sean Monahan for the, the Lady Bing. He's going to win one. one. One award will go his way for not having been a Hart finalist. Yes. And I'm going to say that Stone wins the Selkie and O'Reilly wins the Lady Bing. I could see that happening, especially because, as said previously on this podcast, nobody knows what the hell the criteria is for right. Lady Bing, so it's just going to be a wild card. Seems like he's, got, he's, he's maybe it's having a nice beard, yeah. apparently, because mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. he does have one. Uh, Norris Trophy, Brent Burns, uh, Mark Giordano, Victor Hedman. Um, I'm still kind of shocked that Hedman made the cut for the top three, but who, who do you think wins this one? This seems like Mark Giordano to me. Yeah. It, he had the momentum. He had the campaign from Canadian mm-hmm. media. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a nice guy. He's never won it before. The Flames were good. All of these are the factors that the voters consider when they make their ballots. And, and that's why Mark Giordano wins. And you're forgetting one important factor. What's that? He's Canadian? Old guy. Oh, yeah. Old guy's never even done it. Yeah. Old guy's never won an award. So I think that's going to be the determining factor. I agree with you. Giordano probably wins the Norris. 
This is the one of those ones where I'm like, Ooh, if, baby. if only if only we could have had the foresight of what would come. Ja- the Jack Adams Award, Craig Berube, John Cooper, Barry Trotz. Now, if I had to do the award now, yeah, if you were going to do it now, I mean, you would definitely put Bruce Cassidy in there. Bruce Cassidy for sure, and I would say Berube hands down. We saw what he inherited this team as, the way he guided them, and obviously he won the cup. I, no? I still think there's something to be said for what Barry Trotz did with the Islanders. I, I mean, he's going to win the award. The and, funny thing about the award yeah. is that Barry Trotz was the guy we talked about all year long. Yeah. And then towards the end of the season, who was getting that late push? It was John Cooper. It was Cooper. Being like, guys, let's not forget that this is a historically good team. And then, of course, what happens in the playoffs. Like, And, and there's probably a chance that Cooper wins the award because of what the late – again – the Jack Adams is, is voted on by the broadcasters. I think that means Trotz wins because broadcasters are, as we all know, simple-minded and just go for the big narrative. Um, but like Cooper might have a. I don't want. I let me just say this. I don't want Cooper to win the award. I don't want John Cooper, who I really like, to have to stand before the Angel mm-hmm. Awards and accept the award for Coach of the Year after he got his behind swept in the first round with the Columbus Blue Jackets. That is too awkward even for me, and I love awkward things. So hopefully it's Trotz. Okay. On to the Calder. And this is another one where I think a lot change in the playoffs. You got Jordan Bennington, who made the late push but has a very small sample size. Mm-hmm. Rosmus Stalin, who obviously was the number one pick and mm-hmm. got a lot of attention for being the number one pick. I would say he's probably the number one pick for Mike Harrington. Yeah. And uh, Elias Pedersen. Mm. Uh, of the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, I perfected that. Don't you I worry. Know. I've been spending a lot of time I with know. my Swedes. You, you spent a lot of time with Swedes and Finns, and I'm going to never, I will never sneer at your pronunciations because it's on point. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. But look, one guy who did not make this top three, who had an awesome playoffs and kind of reminded everyone he was kind of awesome all year, Mir Hiskinen, Heiskinen. Yeah. From the Dallas sure. Stars. Yeah. He, he was, was awesome. My, he was in my top three. Better than Darlene. I thought so. Um, it's going to Pedersen. It'll go to Patterson and, and, and yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and Ray, yeah. Sean and, Connery it up. Elias Patterson, <laughs> named a dog in Jada. So I think he'll win. Boy, is it hard to look at this award and not be like, oh, yeah, can't 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 give the guy who just won the Stanley Cup in a Game Seven uh, the Rookie of the Year. I know, I understand. It should be a regular season award. It's just weird to think that like. And, and, and you can't give it to Bennington because he didn't have the sample size. But now if you count all the postseason games, my God, <laughs> he's got a little big sample size. He's, he was great. Uh, but Pedersen might have been even a little bit better. Vesna, Bishop, Lehner, and Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky's going to win. That will be your awkward. Yeah. Uh, or uh, you think they might give it to Lehner or no? Uh, possibly. The problem that I had with Lehner was that he was so good, but Thomas Grice was also very good mm-hmm. when he played. Mm-hmm. And they shared the trophy for having the best combined save percentage. And they were both very good. And it just, it feels to me that Vezina should be the guy who overwhelmingly carried his team. It was an excellent goalie. And I don't have it in front of me, but he, I just didn't feel like he played quite I, enough games. I'm intrigued by, uh, by Bishop being the only Western Conference representative here. And I wonder if that means he got the majority of the support from the Western Conference mm-hmm. GMs or not. I, you know what? It's been so long. I can't quite remember I voted, but. I feel like Bishop was definitely in my yeah, top three. You didn't vote three. for anything because we didn't we didn't vote for that one. The oh. GMs voted for that one. Well, that explains why I can't remember <laughs> it. No, well, I, do you know what I'm thinking of? Is my all NHL team? Right, I know right, I voted yeah, right, something. Right, 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 right. And right. I think but Bishop was on it. Yeah, no, you're right. We do we do the all star diligent voter over here, guys. The all the all star the all star teams are basically like we vote for that the awards we don't vote for on right. the all star team. Right, right, for sure. Um, <laughs> that's pretty funny though. It'd be funny if you send in your ballot and it's got like yeah, Vezina written in. 
Uh, I say I'm going to say Vasilevsky. I'll go with the the chalk on that one probably, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's if it's somebody else. Hart, Crosby, Kucherov, McDavid, um, Kucherov, Hooch, and that'll be super awkward. But uh, but at least he'll have Andre Vasilevsky to come and console yeah. him in the backstage. And as you know, nothing says most valuable player than a guy who gets suspended when his team is down 2-0 already in a series. I that series happened so long ago, I forgot that happened. Mm-hmm. Just as I forgot my votes. All right, now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly oh, we look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Oh. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. It's the moment each episode where we take a look at the uh, foibles. And problems and, you know. Stuff. Stuff of the hockey media. And this is some stuff. Boy, was it. So, for those who don't know, there was a timeline of news reports or rumors and innuendo that were flying through TD Garden about who was going to wave the fan banner at Game 7. And the first report was that it would be TB12 himself. Uh, the former uh, Tom Terrific, because he doesn't like that nickname, uh, Tommy Brady, who was rumored to be there because he said at one point that he would only do it for a game in which the Bruins could clinch the cup. And so let's just say there wasn't rumors. There was actual stuff there. They asked him to do it, and he kept putting it off. He, I was told, had a prior commitment that right. day. Which, I, again, again, I believe it means that his... A uh, kooky trainer was injecting stem cells into his his brain. According to Instagram, it was some kind of holiday where you had to worship Giselle. Oh, okay. Those only happen a couple of days a year, apparently. Well, I see. He and I are of the same religion. Um, so then, uh, then there was rumors that uh, it was going to be Tim Thomas, the uh, Stanley Cup winning and Conn Smith winning goaltender from 2011, who infamously did not show up to the White House celebration and then uh, retired. Didn't to, show up anywhere else. Yeah, a bunker somewhere in either Idaho or Montana, depending on who you're talking to that day. Uh, apparently, he could not uh, pull himself away from his wall of uh, canned food and uh, we assume firearms. He did not attend game seven as much as we know he didn't. Uh, and one assumes he was actually it, there. He yeah, was in the 200 but section. Again, like, if he was going to show up, he would have showed up when the rest of the 2011 team showed up earlier in the series, and he didn't do that. So. Here's my question about that report. Yeah. Do you think the team even asked him? Would they ask him? No, because Tuka Rask and Tim Thomas didn't get along. Could you imagine that? what kind of move that would be? Like, hey, Tuka, good luck in game seven. Oh, by the way, here's your arch nemesis waving a flag around before the game. This was supposed to be a celebration of all things Tuca in this postseason. Yeah, for sure. Then came this one, and this is actually the official Phil Kessel's Hot Dogs of the Week. The LA Times reported, quote, that, reported. quote, David Ortiz reportedly will deliver video message during Game 7 of Stanley Cup Final between Blues and Bruins. Um, with the Bruins on the brink of capturing the franchise's seventh cup on Wednesday, this is from the LA Times, local media outlets speculated that former Boston Red Sox slugger David Ortiz would deliver a message on the TD Garden video board before the game. Now, the headline, again, was David Ortiz reportedly would deliver video message during Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. Inside the story, it is attributed to um, local media outlets speculated. Which ones? Don't know. Someone on Twitter? Perhaps. Perhaps. Somebody who's just shooting the breeze in the media room in between the donuts? Could be. 
Um, but this was like an actual report. This was like tweeted by the LA Times. It was on the LA Times website. Our news desk had to ask us about it. Yeah. Um, and then the game happens and, uh, we are sans video, uh, from David Ortiz. Uh, he did not wave a banner in his, his hospital room. There was actually no mention of David Ortiz, uh, formally, uh, during the game, although there was photos and pictures of people wearing Ortiz jerseys. The LA Times later edited the story and added this line, quote, although there was no Ortiz message, the downtown area was braced for a celebration with barricades on Causeway Street and heavy traffic around TD Garden. Huh. Well, I really slipped that one in, huh? <laughs> like, here's, here, let's talk about the ge- geography and security around TD Garden. Now, by the way, Ortiz is the headline was wrong. <laughs> yeah, so that's definitely in Phil Kessel's hot dogs. Week. The LA Times for the ridiculous report. Oh, clickbait report. Now it's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline, Consmite voting. <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly led with 78 points, 13 first-place votes. Jordan Bennington, 46 points, 5 first-place votes. Tuka Rask, despite the um, recent lobbying from prominent members of the hockey media to be a win-it-at-all-costs guy, uh, win or lose, the MVP, received none first-place votes. What was your ballot? I am a Consmite voter, and uh, I went. Uh, sounds kind of familiar. It's Tuka was third for me, uh, Jordan Bennington was second for me, and Ryan O'Reilly was first. And um, I struggled with it. I thought a lot about it, and in the end, uh, I just felt that Ryan O'Reilly, especially turning it up in that final series, is what put the Blues over the edge. Let me ask you a question on behalf of the people. Yeah. If O'Reilly it. had not scored in Game Seven. Would that have changed your vote at all? Being that you cast your vote at a time when Jordan Biddington was pitching a shutout like he was Roger Clemens. Perhaps. And, you know, it's tricky because you have to vote with 10 minutes left in the third period. And mm-hmm. we were lucky. The game was out of hand by then. But you never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it, I personally would love that extra 10 minutes and just to sit after the game. And I, I feel like there could be an electronic system that might allow for that. No. Who's to say? Who's to say? Uh, but yeah, no, it, it was tricky. And look, another disclaimer is that we had to file two ballots. One, if the Blues win. Right. Two, if the Bruins win, which mm-hmm. is just, it just feels so awkward. And it, uh, well, yeah, I struggle with that Bruins one too. Dateline competition committee. Uh, among their suggestions, the NHL competition committee, on which uh, Connor McDavid serves, which makes me really happy because I want him to be involved in all things, including labor talks. Um are making regulation wins the tiebreaker instead of being regulation and overtime wins and expanding the scope of video review for referees so they can better uh, check and balance their own calls. I I love the first part of this because I am been an advocate in the past for the 3-2-1 point system for valuing regulation wins more than anything else. So anything that gets us closer to uh, giving the first 60 minutes of actual hockey uh, precedent over the next stuff that comes in overtime. That's a good thing. But I go back to what Gary Bettman said about video review, which is that, you know, what if there's a hand pass a minute and a half before a goal? What do you do then? I, I think it's going to be really difficult for them to figure out exactly where the, to draw the line on when you can review something or when you can't. Like, how far back do you go? I really go back to what Brad Marchand told me at Media Day. Yeah, it was a great line. You either do it all. Or you do nothing at all. Mm-hmm. But in this gray era we live in, it's so arbitrary, mm-hmm. you're going to get controversy. Your thoughts on Brad Marchand as a meme, the crying meme last night. Did you see the picture of him? No, I missed that. Oh, yeah. There's a picture of him 
Ryan, did you see the picture of Marshan? Yeah, the picture of Marshan with his, his eyebrows arched, and and he's like got his glove over his face, and he's clearly weeping. And uh, it became a, a meme last night. It was the whole thing. Oh, does oh, Ryan you have know it on, his, it's on his phone? Aww. Yeah. Uh, here, Ryan, you can have your phone back. I don't know if I need to hold on to this. Yeah, so that uh, was the... Is that his, his screensaver now? Like, is yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That, that was it? a really quick uh, recall, Ryan <laughs> Matlack. Uh, we're going to call you out first name, last name for that. Uh, yeah, no, I, I love it. I, I think people just want to get on him a little bit. Uh, I think he's much more emotive than you think he is. I think... Uh, he's much different than he is behind mm-hmm. the scenes, and you know, clearly we caught all, him in this moment. And all I know is this: shout yeah. out, shout out to the person who photoshopped Brad Marchand licking his own tears. That was a pretty decent Photoshop that I found. Well, how did I miss this whole? You were working. Oh yeah. Many of us are, are oh, live online. Uh, Dateline Stanley Cup ceremony. Um, your thoughts on the uh, sparklers that they've added to the back of the Stanley Cup handoff? Did you see those last night? Vaguely. Can I tell you, can I be honest what happened last night? Sure. I'm deciding, do I want to go in the Bruins locker room? Uh, do I want to go onto the ice? Uh-huh. Where's the better story? Mm-hmm. And I'm waiting in the middle because it took a long time for you guys all to go on the ice. Right. And I'm waiting with the people waiting for the Bruins locker room. And then I got a sign. A rat ran past me on the floor. Oh. TD Garden. Whoa. And I knew I need to go on the ice. So I did miss a sparkler. So I saw it in all the photos. Oh. I loved it. It looked like a great visual. I saw it when we were here at ESPN and, you know, we're seeing some of the highlights on the show. Like, that's what looks cool to me. So I'm all in. It, it, it comes off a little bit cheesy and sh- Vegasy show busy. Well, but, what uh, did the league do all I last know, year? The celebration thing, like, of cheesy if, and Vegas show busy. The more Vegas you can get, the better it's going to be. Did you leave the Bruins locker room area because you thought that Marchand was ducking availability by running in front of you like that? Ryan's Ryan loved that joke, so I'm just going to let him laugh for me. <laughs> Finally, Dateline, em- uh, Greg and Emily on the road. Best thing you ate or drank during the Stanley Cup final in either St. Louis Ooh. or Boston? Was there one thing? Was it our, our Neptune's uh, experience? Neptune's we ordered, was like, really good. 40 oysters. That was the best oysters I ate. Uh, Isabel and I went to row 34. Mm-hmm. Really good lobster roll. Mm-hmm. What about you? I I'll I'll go with the the cocktail that I I tweeted and and Instagrammed from um, Yellow Belly. That was the name of the place, right yeah. in St. Louis. Um, it was a tiki drink, mm. and it was a sort of uh, b- banana. There's jalapeno. I don't know. It was oh. super spicy and great, and it looked awesome, and it made everybody jealous. And the the salmon. Uh, That's the most important part, yeah, by the way. Yeah, right. Everyone was jealous. And it was awesome. And then the other thing I would say drank was the, here's a short story. Uh, myself, Steve Wino, and, and Sammy from Finland went to a brewery in St. Louis called Side Project, which mm. is only open on the weekends. And it's the place where all the other breweries go to make weird beer. Ooh. And we ordered, it, what ordered? We bought a limited edition for that weekend bottle of this thing called BVC, which is brandy, vanilla, and cinnamon. And it was the most amazing beer I've ever had. It tasted like carbonated brandy. Yum. Um, we bought one bottle of it. We drank it. We were in heaven. We were drinking Zeus's tears. Next day, someone sends me a note that the bottle that we had purchased, in fact, was going online for $425. What? And we all turned to each other and said, we're idiots. <laughs> Like why didn't we? Why didn't we realize that this would be something that would be coveted because it was only available that weekend? There was a limited number of bottles. People were lining outside to get it, 
and uh, could have made some real coin. Could have made more than uh, the uh, game winning goal pool that does or does not exist. How much would you have paid for it if you had known? If I, oh, you mean like, like it was not available to you and you knew it was that great? How much would you pay for it? How much would I pay for that? Like a bottle of beer? Oh, I couldn't go more than a hundred. Oh, I was gonna say twenty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think of it like wine. Like, yeah. how much would I pay for like a really great bottle of wine? Sure. And I might go like. If I was with a group, nice. like, group yeah. of people, like 150 might be the cap. For sure. a beer, though, like a, a big beer, like a growler I, couldn't, size. I couldn't go more than 100 for that. Yeah. But 20 is <laughs> pretty good, too. Yeah. 20 will get you good stuff. All right. That's ESPN. Do we have a rant line or no? Oh, we do? All right. Let's hear it. Let's, let's hear what that is. Hi, Greg and Emily. I want to talk about post. Why do people say that a player beat the goalie but hit iron? They most certainly did not beat the goalie. They missed. They missed the net. There is a clearly defined area in which goals may be scored, and the puck did not go to that place. As far as I'm concerned, you can't ask for anything more than that from a goalie. Stop saying that guys who hit posts beat the goalie. And thank you for calling in to caress, Mom. <laughs> I agree in principle. Didn't know she was so American, by the way. Yeah, no, it, it's, you don't beat the you, That's a good point. Uh, it's a semantic argument. Maybe that's more of a question for broadcasters versus scribes who obviously would never make an error like that. Mm, I've never written that in print. So uh, there you go. Thank you for the call. Um, thanks for listening to ESPN on Ice. Thanks for everybody who did check out the daily edition of the show during the Stanley Cup final. We much appreciate you searching it out and finding it and listening to it. And uh, we will be back at you next week. Maybe a show after the awards or maybe we might just wait until um, after the draft. We'll see how things play out with travel and stuff. But Emily and I are both in Vegas Tuesday and Wednesday the awards and then in Vancouver with a giant contingent of ESPN hockey people, including Chris Peters uh, for the draft starting like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that neighborhood. So if you see us say hi and we'll say hi right back. Uh, I'm Greg Wyshynski. Find my stuff at ESPN. Listen to my other podcast, Puck Soup. Emily Kaplan at Emily M. Kaplan. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.